All right, so we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and look what it says in verse 1. It says, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world should be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels how much more things that pertain to this life? You know, there is clearly Paul has an expectation here that these people in this church that has adults in it should be capable of judging matters. When there's conflicts, when there's situations going on, they should be able to take care of them as God's people, and they shouldn't have to go to the world's court system. They shouldn't have to go to the heathen to settle their disputes. Okay, I think we're all familiar with this passage. We're not going to go through this whole chapter, but one thing is clear, that God expects his people to be capable of righteous judgment. I mean, the Bible says we're going to judge angels one of these days. I mean, how much more should we be able to judge matters in this life? We should be capable of judgments. We should be capable of righteous judgment. Now, that doesn't mean that just because you're saved, okay, just because we're Christians in here, it does not mean you're just going to automatically have righteous judgment all the time. Because here's something I don't think we realize is that judging righteously is something that in many cases takes a great deal of effort. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of study. And today, I'm afraid many people become very lazy in their study of the Scripture and in their interpretation of the Scripture. And because of that, I mean, the preaching and the interpretations people come up, it's just awful what is being taught in many places because they are... Literally what people are doing, I think eSword, while it's a wonderful tool, while I use it, I think it's made people lazy. And it's caused people, I want to preach on something, I want to say something, and they just do a word search, and they find a phrase that they like, and then they run with it, and they interpret it however they want. You cannot do that. And oftentimes, they butcher the scriptures that they use. It's horrible. They often use Bible to promote horrible things false doctrine, wicked behavior. And so what I want to do in this message, we're going to look at some very commonly abused uh, scriptures or and mainly methods or uh, ways and show how people are just misusing scriptures, how they're not interpreting accurately. And then what I also want to do, and this is going to take a couple messages, but we're going to look at some methods that our courts in America today use when interpreting laws. And I think we ought to apply some of these things. You know, some of these things that they do are good, okay? Now, the first objection that you might have, okay, let me just go ahead and from the get-go, all right, deal with an objection somebody might come up with based on a misuse of the Scripture. And that is, why would you look to the courts in America for guidance on how to interpret laws? I mean, right here, Paul's showing that you shouldn't go to the world's courts. You shouldn't go to the heathen. And our judges, they're all heathens, 100% of them. But here's the thing. Are they 100% heathens? You know, whatever you think about it now, has our country always been heathen? Are, aren't a lot of our laws based off the scriptures? Haven't there been a lot of, uh, you know, uh, saved people in leadership in our country and so the thing is, it would be real easy for somebody to just go and use 1 Corinthians 6 and just condemn all courts 
of the world. But let me ask you, is that what Paul's trying to do? Is 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 11 explaining all courts throughout time are bad? Is that, is that what he's explaining? Because, you know, what was wrong with the judges that he's talking to, to the Corinthians, not the Americans, the Corinthians? Well, in verse 6, we see, uh, but brother goeth to law with brother, and that before unbelievers. We know they were unbelievers. He goes on in verse 9, where he talks about, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. He's saying, these are the people that you're going to. The, t- you're the type of people that you're going to judgment before, that you're having settle all your disputes, are all of these people. You used to be one of them. You know what they're like. You know what they came from. Why are you going to them for judgment? That's what, that's what he's telling them here. You don't need this. Now, let me ask you, are all the judges in Rock Falls all of these things? You know, it'd be real easy for me to just get all the judges in Rock Falls are wicked. Based on First Corinthians six. Oh, really? Okay, you know, name some. Right. Somebody name a judge in Rock Falls. <laughs> I don't know. Thankfully, I haven't spent any time in front of them, <laughs> so I don't. I don't know who any of our judges are. Okay, and, and I'm thankful for that. I really don't want to know. But you know, the objection Paul had, and what Paul is trying to show them here, is you'd be better off dealing with these things yourself. You should be able to handle this. You should be able to handle these disputes. It would be like if me and my sisters. We still had to go to my parents to settle arguments between us. I mean, if I if I was calling if I called my mom up tonight, I'm almost forty, and I'm like, Mom, Christy said something about me on Facebook. You know, I need you to do something. Or, you know, we're adults now. We ought to be able to handle that. You all understand that? And if I got to go and I got to take my sister to court, and I'm going to sue her for libel. Or something like that. I mean, folks, that's ridiculous. And we as Christians, if we're so pathetic, when somebody, when we get out of line, we got to go to the heathen courts to have them fix our problems. We're pathetic. Okay? Even if they were a godly judges, even if they were godly saved judges, I mean, do we really need to take issues in our church outside these doors? I mean, folks, we'd be in bad shape if that's what we were doing. And so that's what Paul is talking about. This chapter is not teaching that no good thing can possibly be done in a court of law. In fact, there's a lot of good things that are often done in our country's courts because we still have some laws that line up with the Bible, some laws that are based on the word of God. Now we're losing them. Our courts, our courts are becoming more and more heathen all the time. But, you know, it's wrong to take this passage and declare all the courts of the world illegitimate. That's not what it's teaching. Okay? He's rebuking an, an individual church. Paul is rebuking the Corinthians for not being able to settle their own disputes, for not being able to judge their own problems and have to go to unbelievers. Y'all understand that? He's not giving instruction here, declaring all courts of the world throughout time evil. But we can take this principle us today in the United States and say, if we have some kind of problem in here, you know what? We should be able to figure this out amongst ourselves. Y'all understand that? That's what we're supposed to get from this passage. And so we're not going to, we're not going to take this and declare all courts illegitimate. There's some very good things in our courts. And as wicked as our country has gotten, I see a lot of things in 
some of the judges in our world and how they interpret man's laws where they put more effort into, you know, making sure they uh, interpret man's laws. They put more effort into that than we put into interpreting the word of God. And we're just lazy about it sometimes. I mean, frankly, some of the preaching I've heard, I mean, it's just, it's lazy. These preachers that just go and find a line in the scripture. And then, I mean, they, they read one verse. There's a line that they like. And then they just use it to talk about whatever they want. I mean, folks, that's awful. That's awful. And that's very common in the IFB world. So how should we handle the word of God when it comes to making judgments? Because this is kind of picking up from what, a little bit what we talked about last week, all right? When it comes to actually making judgments, because we are supposed to make judgments. Sometimes you're supposed to throw people out of church. Sometimes you're supposed to rebuke people sharply. But that doesn't, just because there's a verse that says we can do it, doesn't mean we do it all the time. It doesn't mean we do it in every situation, in every case. How do we figure out when we do these things and when we don't do these things? You know what we do? We go to the law and we go to the word of God. And there's some things that we need to do in studying these things to help us get these right. In 2 Corinthians 4, 1, it says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, not handling the word of God deceitfully. But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. You know what? Preachers are very capable of being very deceitful in how they handle the Bible. They can get up and use the Bible and trick you. And how do they? How, how do you get up and read the Word of God and trick somebody by poor interpretation, by misapplying verses? And listen, a lot of people have been in situations where they've heard preaching like that. And it was like something bothered him about it. It was like, you know, something's not right about this. And the truth is, if a preacher's doing things right, if he's handling the word of God accurately, people will be able to walk away from there and their conscience will be okay in the sight of God. They'll be able to walk away from that situation. And it's like, you know what? You know, it got a little weird when Pastor Tommy got up and really chewed that person out and you know, threw him out of the church and called him a bunch of names and we all clapped as they walked out and things like that. But he did use a verse that, you know, shows, rebuked them sharply and, you know, a few verses about reprobates and blah, blah, you know, all that. And so, but oh, something some just didn't feel right about it. And maybe it's because I handled the word of God deceitfully. Maybe it's because I misapplied those scriptures. And the truth is, if there ever was a situation that called for that, if I'm handling the word of God correctly, you all ought to be able to see what took place and rest assured and know we did the right thing. He proved it from the scriptures. There it is, right there in the scriptures. This is exactly what the Bible says. This is a very similar situation to what we see in the Bible. And so we're okay. So I'm going to really cover uh, one thing. Just The whole sermon is really going to be on this one thing today. But when it comes to interpreting the Bible, or when it comes to interpreting laws, specifically, one method that is often talked about, especially when it comes to, uh, like, our Supreme Court. I heard a lot of talk about this with Amy Comey Barrett. She is uh, supposedly an originalist when it comes to interpreting the Constitution. That's a good thing, okay? That's a good thing. And so one rule that we should follow when interpreting a scripture, this is just one rule, okay? There's more rules there might even be some objections to what I'm going to say this week. I'll cover that next week, okay? I don't have time to go down a bunch of rabbit trails. 
But here's what you need to ask yourself when you're reading any scripture. And this is something you need to know before you go preaching any scripture. You should know with the scripture that you're using what the original intent of the author was when he wrote that scripture. And that's what they do often with the Constitution, okay? With the Supreme Court, many of the Supreme uh, people in the Supreme Court, the originalists, they look at the Constitution and they ask themselves, hey, this law is not real clear here by itself. So what did the authors of that law mean when they wrote it? Okay, when when they talked about freedom of the press and freedom of religion, what did the authors mean when they when they wrote that? Because the legal the definition of original intent it's the actual aim or purpose, especially of the framers of the Constitution. What were they what were they shooting for when they wrote the Constitution? And another definition of the conservative theory in the constitutional law: only those guarantees intended by the framers and set forth in the text of the Constitution are valid. Now, here's why the liberals don't like that. Because if you could prove that the founders of our, or the authors of our Constitution never intended for, say, Islam to be a part of this country, well, then freedom of religion would only apply to Christian religions. If, if you could prove that's what they intended. If you could prove that the, uh, you know, the authors of our Constitution did not believe that, you know, sodomites counted when it came to rights and things like that, then, you know, some of those things we're talking about all men are created equal, and we could throw an exception in there for the sodomites or something like that. You know, if you could prove that, if you could prove that they, you know, they had, there was, if there was clearly no intention, they did not mean, you know, this, some of this freedom and pursuit of happiness meant pursuing homosexuality. If you could prove that, then, Whenever the Supreme Court is making decisions, then they can throw out things like gay marriage and stuff like that. Okay? And I'm pretty, I think it's pretty safe to say our founding fathers never intended for same sex couples to get married. I think that's a pretty safe bet. And if we had originalists on the, you know, on the Supreme Court, gay marriage probably wouldn't have went through. But unfortunately, you know, we had too many liberals in there and that's not how they interpreted the scripture. So it's very important. With any scripture that we understand the original intent of the authors, especially of those laws, as they've been given. If we are allowed to attach whatever definition we want to a law or to a phrase, then we can create great problems and confusion. All right? So, for an example, this is one I've seen misused many times. If you ever go to, if you were to uh, watch an execution on TV, all right, they don't show the executions, but the news media is uh, covering outside of prison execution, chances are you're going to see some protesters there. And you know what you're probably going to see? Uh, a sign of Exodus 20:13, Thou shalt not kill. That's what they always do. I've seen PETA use those signs. Thou shalt not kill. Now let me ask you, what does the law say? Well, thou shalt not kill, right? Okay, now, I mean, isn't that what it says? So if I want to get up and say, you know what, execution is always wrong. The Bible says thou shalt not kill. And here you are, you're taking, and you're going to go kill them? How is that not violating, you know, the word of God? The Bible says thou shalt not kill. And you know what? It doesn't say just thou shalt not kill humans. It says thou shalt not kill. You realize every time you eat meat, somebody killed that animal. 
they broke one of the Ten Commandments. It, it says, does it not say, folks, thou shalt not kill? Is that what it says? Folks, anybody that knows how to read can look at the Ten Commandments and see thou shalt not kill. So you know what? The hand sanitizer we have out there it says kills 99.9% .9 of germs. You shouldn't use that either. Your germs have a right to life too. You know what? Because the Bible says thou shalt not kill. And folks, do people not do that all the time? They'll just take a line, they'll take a verse, and they just do stupid stuff with it. And people do that with thou shalt not kill all the time. So what do we do? Okay, what do we do with that? Somebody swats a fly. We, gotta, we have a fly swatter out there. The Bible says thou shalt not kill. You can go around killing flies. Violating one of the Ten Commandments. I mean, the law is pretty clear, folks. Okay, it's pretty clear. So what do we do? You know what we do? We look at the original intent of the author when he gave that. Okay, now first off, who was the author of Thou Shalt Not Kill? God. Okay, God wrote that one. Well, what else did God say about the subject? Matthew 19, verse 17, and he said to them, Why call saw me good? For there is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said unto him, which Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder. You know what I can conclude from what the author of Thou Shalt Not Kill said? When he talked about the Ten Commandments, he said, Thou shalt do no murder. So, eating meat, it's okay. Because the same person who wrote Exodus 20.13 also wrote Leviticus 20.13. Isn't that a coincidence? If I was a Ruckmanite, I could find some numerology stuff there that means something. All right, 2013 is all about killing people. All right, well, it was about not killing people. The other one's about actually killing people. But so the thing is, if the same author who wrote Exodus 2013 wrote Leviticus 2013, then I think it's safe to say that when he wrote Exodus 2013, he didn't mean you, you can't kill anybody. It just means no murdering people. You don't just get to kill people forever you, for whatever you want. And even when it comes to executing people, you know, they've got to be guilty of something. They've got to be guilty of something very specific. There are specific people who are supposed to administer that type of thing. We know that from what else the author said about the subject. We have a crystal clear clarification from the original author in Matthew 19, 17, and 18. So some clown from PETA wants to stand up and hold an Exodus 2013 sign when they see me eating meat. I'm not going to be convicted by that at all because they are misusing that verse. They're, handi they're handling it deceitfully. And yes, when I put hand sanitizer, on, hand sanitizer on, I am killing germs, but I'm not violating thou shalt not kill because I'm not murdering anybody. That's what that's talking about. And sometimes laws by themselves, it's not super clear what they meant and what they intended. It's like that in a lot of our laws that we have in our country. And so these judges, they often go and they look at other laws and they compare them and they try to find similarities. They will, they'll look at other things that the uh, the authors wrote. That's why they often bring up Thomas Jefferson's letter to the Danbury Baptist Association about separation of church and state because they, you know, they used the fact that he wrote that, even though that's not an official document, you know, they try to make it seem like, you know, he actually meant other stuff when he wrote, you know, things about freedom of religion and stuff like that. I don't have time to go down all those rabbit trails either. But either way, the reason people bring that up is because since Thomas Jefferson authored you know, many of these things, 
you know, it's in, you know, what he has wrote on other things can help us maybe understand certain things that aren't real clear. So understand, just because I have a line from the Bible, thou shalt not kill, doesn't mean I can use it however I want. I've got to use it the way God used it. I have to use it the way God intended for it to be used. And God never intended for PETA to use it to stop people from killing animals and eating them. God never intended that. God never intended that for a bunch of hippies when they're out there, you know, uh, protesting an execution of some murder. God never intended that. Don't use God's word that way. That's handling the word of God deceitfully. And we know that they are wrong because we know what the author says. We know his intent. When he wrote that, it's very, it's very, very clear. And so uh, you, we can look at Exodus twenty nine eleven. Because you say, well, you know, you know, it's it's okay. You know, it's you know, thou shalt not kill. It you know, doesn't apply. You know, it's talking about man and animals. You know, you can't just go killing animals forever, like you murderers that go out hunting and stuff like that. You know that you know you're you're bad too. But Exodus twenty nine eleven says, and thou shalt kill the bullock. Isn't it safe to say it's okay to kill an animal when it says thou shalt kill? Why don't somebody go put that up? You know, in a sign when Peter's using it. You know, now shall kill a bullock before the Lord. Oh, well, you know, that was for sacrifices. Well, Deuteronomy 12, 15 says, Notwithstanding, thou mayest kill and eat flesh in all thy gates. Whatsoever thy soul lusteth after, according to the blessing of the Lord thy God, which he hath given thee, the unclean and the clean may eat thereof, as of the roebuck and as of the heart. Only ye shall not eat the blood, ye shall pour it upon the earth as water. So, I mean, that's real clear. I can kill, I can kill an animal just because it, I think it's going to taste good. I mean, my soul, it lusts after cows, all eating cows all the time. And I can kill it. The Bible tells me I can't. So PETA can't use that. You know, some might say, well, you could, fine. Yeah, there's reason to kill animals, but never, ever people. You can never kill people, but we got Leviticus 2013. We got Leviticus 2014 and 15 and 16 where it's talking about killing people. We're not going to take time to read through those scriptures. So execution clearly is not murder. Now, some people will tell you it is. Some people will tell you execution is murder. It's not. Okay. The author of thou shalt not kill, the author of the law against murdering, the author, the one who originally started the whoso sheddeth man's blood, my man shall his blood be shed, says execution is not murder. It's killing. You are killing somebody, but it's not murder. There's no doubt about that at all. And so uh, Deuteronomy 7.1. So, well, war. What about war? You know, that, that's killing people. But it says, When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou, when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Okay, now, understand, war is not murder. Now, not all wars are justified wars. Okay? Just because someone says, well, it's war, it doesn't mean that that war is justified. But in a legitimate war, okay, if you kill somebody, you're not a murderer. Okay? Even if it's probably not a justified war. Okay, If you were a soldier 
and you know you you killed somebody in a war and you know turned out and the leaders were bad and you're being manipulated stuff. I don't I don't know that God's going to hold you accountable for murder, but I do believe God will hold our nation accountable, you know, for unjustly killing people in another country. I believe our our nation would get in trouble for that, but I don't believe that you should be convicted of murder, especially if you're following some of the rules that we even have. You know, we have like the Geneva Convention and things like that. And even when it comes to war, you still don't get to just kill whoever you want. You know, if just because if we go to war with Iraq or some other country and we see somebody from Iraq here, that doesn't mean I get to go shoot him. You know, I, that would be murder. That's not the way this stuff works. You know, there, there's, there's, there's even rules to war. And so, you notice that manslaughter is also not murder. Bible says thou shalt not kill, but, and, and you slaught, you know, you commit manslaughter, you kill somebody, but it's not murder. And, we, and I've got so many scriptures on this. I really, I, I don't want to spend too much time on this because this is a pretty simple one. I think we all get it. But yes, the Bible says thou shalt not kill. If some hippie wants to get in your face and say thou shalt not kill because they're mad about an execution and they're mad about you eating an animal or something like that, just understand we know the original intent of the author. We've seen the author's other writings and other laws, and there is no doubt that execution is not murder and that thou shalt not kill means no murdering people. There's no doubt about that. So another abuse scripture, turn over to Matthew chapter 7. This is another very abused scripture. We hear people use it all the time when you condemn any sin, you say that anything's wrong, you know, you're wrong. Wait, judge not. Don't ask me what the rest of it says. But I know those two words. I got those ones memorized. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother eye, but considerest not the beam in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye? Behold, a beam is in thine own eye, thou hypocrite. First cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Now, listen, judge not is in the Bible, isn't it? So if I go and I tell somebody, hey, you guys are shacking up. You're in sin. The Bible says judge not. I mean, are they lying? But does that mean I'm not allowed to call out sin now? Just because, I mean, you got the judge not card. You can lay down anytime you want. And that's what it says. But wait a minute. What does judge not mean? First off, is that all it says? What? It says judge not. Every word of God is pure. I know. But you don't just get to take a part of a sentence and not use all the sentence. You don't, you have to look at context. What was Jesus trying to tell us when he said judge not? The way we figure out what Jesus was trying to say. Well, he said judge not. I know, but that's not all he said, folks. He said judge not. And then he went on and he said more. So what was he trying to teach us? What, what is, was the intent of Matthew 7 when it was given? Was it given so we would never say anything against anybody's sin? Or was he teaching us not to be a hypocrite? Because okay, remember, who's speaking? Okay, we, Jesus is speaking. But why did he make this statement? Why did he say this? Why did he bring this up? Is judge not the only thing he said, or was there more? You know, what else did, because what else did Jesus say on the subject of judging? In verse, in, in John 7, 24, Jesus said, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. 
So the same person who said judge not also said judge righteous judgment. So what do we do with judge not? Do we do what the liberals are doing with it? Or do we look at what it says and, oh, wait a minute. He's talking about being a hypocrite in your judgment. He's warning you that you know you don't want to be judge you don't uh, you don't want to be hypocritical in your judgment you don't want to be harsh in your judgment because the judgment that you judge you're going to be judged with that same judgment the measure that you put on other people the standards you put on other people it's going to be put on you too so you better watch out you better not be a hypocrite you might want to just take care of your own problems instead of worrying about everybody else's problems because if you're going around with a beam in your eye, people might be forgiving and they might not have a big problem with it. But at the same time, if they see you with that beam in your eye going around trying to pull the moats out of everybody's eyes, they're going to think you're an idiot. And you know what they're going to do? The judgment, the harshness that you are putting on that person's moat, they're going to use equal harshness against your beam. And now you're in trouble because that's the way that you judge other people. Folks, that's what Jesus was teaching when he said judge not. And we can't ignore that. And that's what's happening. Preachers are just taking lines and they're running with it. And the line's right. But most of the time, the crowd is so ignorant of the scriptures. They're so ignorant of that passage. They have no idea that they're being led up a creek. They have no idea. They're too lazy to go judge it themselves and say, wait a minute. Something doesn't sound right here. Something doesn't sound right. Let's look at the law. Let's look at everything that was said. And if it doesn't seem to match up, what, 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 did, what did they say on other things? What are some other passages? Because there there's some passages that aren't as clear as others on things. So what do we do? We go to those other passages, understanding they have the same author, God, and we judge. All right, here it's even clearer over here, so let's go off this judgment. And that's what even worldly judges do that. When there's a law that's not super clear, they go and they look at other laws maybe written by the same person or in that same area, and they make sure that there's some consistency to them. There should be consistency. And we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. Something very important. So a lot of people just don't understand this stuff. They've never been taught it. But we can easily conclude that judging is not a sin. However, being a hypocrite in your judgment is a sin. So I'm sorry. You know, Pastor Skinny Jeans in his pink shirt just going around saying judge not, judge not all the time is handling the word of God deceitfully. So another one, uh, first, go ahead and turn over to 1 Kings chapter 12. Another thing that preachers often do is they draw unfair conclusions and even doctrines from stories, Okay. Not laws, okay? What we've been reading in Exodus and Deuteronomy, these are laws, okay? There's uh, what we, some of the things we read from Jesus. This is Jesus laying out clear instruction. Jesus Christ laying out clear instruction. But sometimes in the Bible, we're just reading stories, and the Bible's telling us what happened. It's not, it's not teaching us. It's not giving us a command. It's just showing us what happened. And we can learn from those things. We can get some principles from those things. We'll say more about that next week, too. But this is what I've heard people use. The famous story of Rehoboam when they want, when they came to him wanting him to make their yoke lighter. And in uh, chapter 12, verse 8, it says, But he forsook the counsel of the old men, which they had given him, and consulted with the young men, 
that were grown up with him, which stood before him. Okay? Now, is this story teaching we should never listen to young people and always listen to old people? Is that what it's telling us? No, but now, can we get a principle from this and say, you know, if I'm seeking counsel on something, it would probably, if, you know, if I was Rehoboam, I'd probably listen to the guy that, you know, counseled my father, who was an extremely successful king, rather than these guys who I grew up with that don't know anything I don't know. I mean, so, you know, there, there's a good principle there. And then in your life, if there's people that are out there that are older, that are more experienced in a certain area, and you're like, you know, I'd probably rather talk with these guys than the ones who are my equals. I think that's just wisdom. But is this a command, always listen to old men over young men? Well, I hope not, because otherwise we have a contradiction in the Bible. Because in the very next chapter, we have the story of the young prophet who's called, told to go to the kingdom, give a message, not to eat anything, not to drink anything. You go in, you do your thing, you go out the same way. Don't stop for nothing. That was the command. But you know what happened in that story? An older prophet stopped by. And in verse 18, he said unto him, I am a prophet as thou art. An angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee into thine house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied unto him. The old prophet lied to the young prophet. Hey, we should always listen to our elders. Well, not when they go against the word of God. And that young prophet, you know the story, he listened to him, and he ended up, God ended up killing him for it. And guess who prophesied God was going to kill him for it? The old prophet. I mean, here he goes and he lies to this guy, so he'll come eat with them. He comes and eats with them, and then the old prophet prophesies, you're going to die for disobeying God. You told me to. You know. I was just following First Kings chapter 12 and listening to the old men. I heard a guy at a camp meeting preaching it that way. You know, and again, I mean, listen, most of the time you're going to be better off listening to old people over young people. But is, is 1 Kings 12 a command, folks? Is that a law that we do? Of course not. These are two stories. They really happen. It's the word of God, and we can get principles from those things. But sometimes people take stories and create doctrines. They create laws out of those. And folks, some of the examples I could give, I mean, it, it's insane what people are doing. And you got to ask yourself, when some preacher gets up and he runs his mouth and creates a rule, a law, a requirement for salvation, or something like that, well, yeah, he used a Bible verse, but wait, did he handle that verse correctly? Or did he handle the Word of God deceitfully? Did he, did he really come up, is he really teaching that doctrine based off clear instructions or based off a story of something that just happened? We've got to ask ourselves these things, otherwise we're going to get led up a creek. So, um, turn over to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. People often draw foolish conclusions from statements that the Bible records someone making. Okay? So, and this, this is just an extreme example. I've got, I've got a ton of great, good examples I could use, but listen, the whole point of this message is I'm teaching you how to interpret the scriptures. That way you can figure out if you're being led up a creek or not. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have such a pathetic church that I have to tell you and I have to correct every preaching that's out there. And I have, if I have to tell you what's right and what's wrong, you know, then something's wrong. If I'm preaching good, I can get up and I can teach you how to interpret the scriptures. 
And then you can listen to bad preaching, and not only will you know it's bad, but you'll know why it's bad. You'll know where they went wrong. I shouldn't have to tell you. I can't keep track of everybody's sermons and correct everybody's mistakes. Y'all okay with that? I, I don't have time to listen to all the preaching that's out there on YouTube that you might be listening to to find out what's right and wrong. I don't want to. Okay? I'm not interested in it. And so, because, and that's very likely that there is some bad teaching out there. I'm just going to teach you how to interpret the Bible. And if y'all have a brain in your head, you can figure it out. And, and you know what? I think you're capable of doing that. I think you're capable, like the Apostle Paul, who thought the Corinthians, hey, you're capable of judging these matters. You're going to judge angels one of these days. I think you're able to look at the Bible and figure out what it actually means. You can figure out if that's actually a command or if somebody is handling the word of God deceitfully. You ought to be able to tell the difference. Is, hey, is this a command? Is this a written law? Or is this just a story in the Bible? You'll, you'll be able to figure that out. You'll be able to rightly divide the scriptures yourself if you're putting the work into it. Now, if you're, listen, if you're just stinking lazy, then I don't know, you know, I don't really know what to do. If you're just, if you're just lazy and you're not willing to read, you're not willing to take the time to study, then you know what? I mean, any, any preacher can lead you up a creek because you're just lazy. But if you're willing to do the work, I, I do. I think you can handle it. I think you guys, I'm not encouraging you guys to go out and listen to bad preaching. But you know what? I'm not going to make a rule that if you listen to John MacArthur, you're getting thrown out of the church. Because one, I don't really think it's my place to do that. But at the same time, too, you know, and don't take me up on this challenge, all right? You know, don't go asking to get deceived. But I think, I think if some of you listen to John MacArthur's sermon, I don't think, I don't think most of you would turn into a Calvinist. Now, some of you might, you know, and so you shouldn't. But at, at the same time, uh, I'm not real worried about it. I think you're capable of seeing through that. I think the teaching here is good enough that if you're paying attention and you're doing any work, you'll be able to take care of that. And so I have released myself from fixing anybody else's preaching. I have dropped those chains and I don't care. And I and I could I could give all kinds of examples and straighten out everybody on this if I wanted to. I'm not interested. I don't need to. I don't I don't need to do that. And I, I think if you follow these things, you'll be able to do it yourself. But let's look at this is this is an extreme example here. All right? Let me give you an extreme example because most of the good examples I had in the Book of Acts, I know too many people that have done it wrong, and I'm not going after anybody. All right. So let me just let me give you an extreme example. I haven't heard anybody do this. But Acts chapter 12, verse 21 says, Upon a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne, and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory, and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. Notice here how it's when the people are saying, It is the voice of a God. One thing we can learn from the scripture is that gods have a specific kind of voice. And Herod, when he was speaking, he had so, you know, he literally all of a sudden was speaking in a godlike, thundering, booming voice. God gave him that ability, but he didn't glorify God when the people praised him, and therefore God struck him and killed him. Now, is that what this passage is? Is this passage teaching us that there is a God voice? All right. 
I mean, what you know, because what, what first off, what would that sound like? All right, well, on TV, it's always like booming and echoing and you know, thunder in the background and stuff like that. Is that what is that what this passage is teaching us here, or were the people just flattering Herod? I think the people were flattering Herod. It's kind of like some of these people, the way the Fox News Baptists were praising Trump, acting like he was the Messiah or something. He doesn't give God the glory, and God's like, you know what? Fine. I'm going to let you get beat by Joe Biden. I'm going to let you get beat by the guy that's all over. Everybody's seen groping kids and sniffing kids and things like that. I mean, you're so proud of yourself. I'm going to let you, I mean, fix the economy and do all these wonderful things and then get beat by a senile dude that can't put two words together. I don't know. I mean, that may very well be what God did. But listen, at the end of the day, this is a story of a king who was lifted up with pride, who is full of himself. And I don't need to go take it for this in teaching that there's a God voice that's out there and that Herod had some special vocal abilities and he was able to speak in a way that only gods can. Folks, that would be so dumb, all right? We're not Ruckmanites here. We don't do that type of thing. Okay? This, is, this is clearly just teaching that you, know, you don't want to get lifted up with pride you want to give God the glory. I believe it's in the very next chapter. And I think this is one of the reasons this is in the Bible. When the very, in the very next chapter, we see Paul where they are, they're telling him and calling him and Barnabas a God. And they tried to make altars so they could uh, offer sacrifices to him. And you know what those guys did? They rent their clothes and they told the people to stop. They told the people not to do it. And the people stoned them because of it. But you know what? That would stink. But it's better than getting eaten a worms. And that's probably what God would have done to them because God doesn't like people taking that kind of worship and glory. I don't believe Paul and Barnabas, you know, had a supernatural voice. I think it was just a bunch of idolatrous people, you know, wanting to make man a God. People love doing that, folks. People love making men gods. That's why they go nuts over celebrities. That's why we have things like American Idol. People love worshiping other people. It's the weirdest thing. In the world. So that's an extreme example right there. But the Bible's just telling us a story here. And oftentimes people will go to a story and they some of the teaching that they pull from these stories, it's like, is that what Luke was wanting to teach us when he wrote that story? What was Luke trying to communicate when he wrote Acts chapter 12? We've got to ask ourselves these questions. And the thing is, you can, you can take principles, you can make life application from the laws of God, you can make life application from stories. It's okay to do that, but understand if you don't know what the original intent of the author was in that passage, you are going to be very likely to end up misusing that passage. We've, and we've been doing that in the book of Genesis, where we're at in the book of Genesis right now. It's not a lot of doctrine. It's just telling a story. And so what are we doing? We're telling the story, but then we're making some life application principles. That's, that's what we're doing. And you're allowed to do that, but we're not going to go teach you know, weird doctrines like that Joseph you know, was able to you know, speak to spirits in his cup. Now, he did that. I, I'm not going to do that with that passage. That's not what that's teaching. So, you know, obviously... You know, we, we can throw out what these people said in the story when they're saying it is the voice of a God. 
because it doesn't explicitly say in here, it doesn't explicitly say in here that it wasn't the voice of a God. You all understand that? When people say it's the voice of a God, the Bible records that. There's no mistakes in the Bible. But listen, okay, we also see there, there's, there's a lot of dumb stuff that we see in the Bible because people said dumb stuff and the Bible recorded it. Okay, it's still accurate. It's, it's, it's the word of God, but the Bible's recording something dumb that people said. Are we going to build a doctrine from that? Are we going to do that? We see a lot of examples of that in the book of Job. Job's friends are saying a lot of very, you know, eloquent stuff, but they were wrong. And God rebukes them at the end of the book for it. We shouldn't get, we shouldn't get doctrines from those verses. Should we teach doctrines from verses? In the book of Job, that God later, many chapters later, rebukes him for. Well, it does say that in the Bible. I get what that says, but we also see they got rebuked for saying that. So these are the things that you have. If you understand what that pastor was talking about, when a preacher just gets up and just pulls a verse out of who knows where, and sometimes, too, they'll just, like, quote a verse, that you know, and it sounds biblical. You know it's in the Bible somewhere, but they don't tell you where it is. And because if, if they do, somebody might go back and look and say, that doesn't apply to this situation. That has nothing to do with this sermon. And that's wrong. That's handling the word of God deceitfully. And so we have a responsibility to accurately interpret the scriptures and to use the scriptures in judgment in the way God intended. Okay? So especially when it comes to how we are treating other people, what we are doing to other people. We need to make sure if we're using Bible, we're using it in the right way. We're not just using it however we want. It, you know what? It takes work. Okay? You going on eSword and looking for a phrase that you want to use against somebody, is not that, that does not count. That's you being lazy. That's you misusing that verse. We've got to be willing to put the effort so we're not made to look like a fool. So we will rightly divide. So we will not be ashamed. And there are many ways that we can use different scriptures. But it's very important when it comes to any scripture that we use that before we teach anything, we should be familiar with the original intent of the author. If I ever get up and I blow your mind with some teaching you've never heard before, and I use a verse, okay, Make, if, if you're not real familiar with that passage, you better get familiar with it before you just accept whatever I taught you. Make sure it was like, you know, I, I wasn't really familiar with that passage. I'm not really sure what it was talking about. I mean, I, I heard what it said. I mean, yeah, he gave a verse. It did say that. I mean, you know, if, if some person was completely ignorant of the scriptures, if they've never been to church before, if they've never read their Bible, and they hear some Peter person, maybe they've been taught, though, that the Bible's the word of God, the Bible's right, and then they hear some Peter person saying, thou shalt not kill, that's why we can't kill animals. If they don't know anything else in the Bible, they might fall for that. They might actually fall for that. And a lot of people, when they get duped, you know, with bad teaching, that where people use the scriptures is because they have no idea. I mean, just from the message I preached last week, somebody tried to call me out and act it's okay for them to judge whatever they want because the spiritual man judges all things. I was like, what? You're not familiar with that passage. And I explained that, and they kind of had to admit they were wrong. And, and they were, they were dead wrong. You, you, I was like, you proved my point. You just found a line that goes along, that by itself sounds like it goes along with what you want to do. But that's not what that passage is teaching. Yes, that line by itself says what you're saying, but that passage is teaching something completely different. And, I mean, 
We all know James 2. Faith without works is dead. We all know that verse. Is that verse not in the Bible? And don't people use it all the time to prove you have to have works to be saved? I mean, that's what the Bible says. But is that all that it says? Is that what James was trying to teach us when he wrote that? We have to act, you know, yeah, he's got a line, but we've got to look at that. So we've got to make sure we at least know the original intent of the author. And folks, when you do, when you've actually studied these passages and you hear people get up, I mean, I just, I heard a trendy the other day talking about, you know, how the apostle Paul, you know, he wondered sometimes if he was a reprobate. He said, except he'd be reprobates. And it's like, have you ever read that whole passage? And, and look at that. I mean, I, I, it blew my mind when I heard him say that. But you know what? Paul did say that, didn't he? You know, Paul, Paul did make that statement, but he, he said a little more than that, too. We've got to look into these things. And so, you know, if you're listening to this, too, you know, there might be some objections. Like, well, that's not the only way. Okay, original intent, that's not the only way. It's not the only thing we do. But I'm telling you, if you're going to avoid misusing Scripture, you will help yourself a lot by always understanding the original intent, whatever you, you guys that preach, don't just e-sword a word and find a verse that you like. If you're pulling a verse out of Jeremiah 49 and just opened up to, you need to know what Jeremiah 49 is talking about. You need to, I mean, I've heard people do that on messages and repentance. They'll go to Jeremiah and they'll go to Ezekiel and they'll find these passages where God's talking about repentance. And if you have to turn from this sin and that sin, if you're going to be saved. But the thing is, it's not even talking about soul salvation. It's talking about how to avoid judgment. And they don't know, but the phrase, the phrase is in there that goes along with what they're teaching, but they don't know what the writer, what Ezekiel intended when he wrote that. He wasn't trying to teach people that if they want to get saved, they've got to quit sinning. He was trying to tell Israel, if you want to be spared this judgment, you need to get right with God. You need to turn from your idolatry. You need to turn from the fornication. You need to turn from all these things. That's what Ezekiel was trying to teach. And it's like, what must these people, if they're up in heaven and hearing preachers get up and use their sermons for their texts and then listen to the sermons they preach and be like, that is not what I meant when I wrote that passage. I mean, I, I don't know if they can hear the bad preaching that goes on, but I, I often wonder about that. And so the thing you got to understand, though, you know, the Bible does, doesn't lay out details for every situation that there is, Okay. We're all going to face a lot of things. There's going to be a lot of different circumstances. But, you know, it, and it, but it is appropriate whenever we are facing some kind of situation to go to specific laws that are similar and to other situations that we see in the Bible and use them as precedent when trying to figure out what is right. Okay? And that's what we're going to talk about next week. We're going to show how, you know, even in our court system today, a lot of times when they're making a judgment on a decision, they often compare it. So like if a lower court takes a case and they're trying to figure out how to judge that situation or maybe figure out even how to sentence somebody, what they do is they look at other cases that were similar. And the judgments that, that come from those should have some consistency to it. And so what they'll often do is look at how higher courts ruled on those things and so if we're in a situation where we don't see that exactly spelled out in the bible what we do is we go to the laws in the bible 
that we compare them to the situation that we're in. And then we try to make a judgment that is consistent with the judgment that was made in the Scriptures. You all understand that? And so in that case, we're going to be taking Scriptures that maybe are on a subject different than what we're actually dealing with, but that's because we don't have a Scripture that you know, explicitly deals with the situation we're in, so we're going to compare things. That's the same thing they do in our court system today, but at the end of the day, understanding original intent is going to help you a lot with this. It's, it's going to make a big, big difference in your interpreta- interpreting of the Scriptures, and I'm telling you folks, just listen, burn this in your brain, okay? Let me help you out right now. When you listen to preaching, and sometimes it might even be my preaching, and you hear something that's a little weird, that doesn't really seem right. There's something that just doesn't seem to set well with me on that. I mean, you use the Bible verse, but ask yourself this question. Is that what the author intended us to get from the Scripture? Was it appropriate the way he used that Scripture? And just what you all you need to do is go home and, hey, when thou shalt not kill was written, when whatever was written, what was going, what were they trying to communicate? What were they trying to teach? And if it's not real clear, that's where you go to other pastors on that same subject, and, and you you compare those things. And if you'll do that, and it's gonna, and I hate to say this, I hate to use this four letter word, it's gonna take a little bit of work sometimes. I wish I could tell you, you know, listen, the easiest thing in the world that you could do is just do whatever I say. I mean, that would work convenient. That'd be convenient for me, I guess. But is that what you're supposed to do? No, you're supposed to put in the work and effort yourself, and this is how you do it. And listen, if you stood before a judge, you don't want them to be lazy in this stuff. You want Everybody, when they stand before the judge, they want justice. And the last thing we want is, you know, we, you know for them to just go and legislate from the bench, as they call it. And it's like, well, I know the law says this, but I don't like you. And so I'm making a different judgment for you. If me and Austin stand before the judge and we did the exact same thing, you know, there should be some consistency in how they judge us. And I think we all expect that, don't we? I think we all expect that. And so don't, don't fall for, don't fall for bad preaching. And so all those who watch this message too, just, you know, hoping I was going to nail somebody's hide to the wall and show her something got wrong. Man, I hate to make you sit through a sermon and get nothing. But you know what? Tough luck. I, that we're 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 teaching here. We're working. We're trying to learn some things here, and uh, and hopefully now what you can do is you can go back now and listen to all my preaching and see where I went wrong and just tell me about it, and, and you might actually uh, accomplish something. Because you know what, folks, I'm from the IFB. I have not done this right before. I have taken the line. And, you know, and why do we do these things? Well, I heard it sounded good when another preacher did it. I mean, when, when the guy at the, you know, the, the camp meeting, the people were whooping and hollering around the aisles. I mean, surely he handled the word of God correctly in that situation. Well, not all the time. Not all the time. And when that happens, man, I hate it. I hate it. I've gone back and looked at some of my notes. So I'm wanting to preach on something. I'll go look at it, notes when I did it before. And I've learned more about a certain passage since then. I was like, I use that verse to teach that. And I'm like, oh, I hate that. I hate it, and and we're all going to mess up. We're all going to get things wrong. But uh, good night. You know, we can avoid a lot if we'll do a little bit of work. So with that, let's pray, dear Lord.
thank you so much for your word. I pray this was a help to everyone. I pray they'll be able to take this principle, Lord, and use it so they will be able to see through bad preaching that is out there. And I pray you'll just help us to not be lazy in our judgment. Help us to uh, put the effort.